from the dark recesses of my unconscious mind into the glaring light of objective reality. You are listening to the Dark Mind Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode where we explore the boundless realm of dark literature and film. On today's show, we have a writer that blends fantasy, horror, and erotica into powerful prose that is as dark as it is stimulating. She's joining me today to talk about her recent collection of short stories and the shadows we become, as well as her new novella, Chester. So without further ado, Join me as we delve into the dark insight of H.D. Scarberry. HD, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, thank you for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you not only about your book, but also your art and the services that you provide to other authors in the form of editing. Oh, thank you. I'm excited too. Um, I can't really believe that you're taking an hour or more out of your time to to talk to me about my stories. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> The feeling is mutual. I can't believe you're taking an hour to listen to me ramble on and interrogate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, my husband doesn't really read, especially uh, this genre, you know, so definitely excited to, to talk to anybody about it. I'm pumped. <laughs> well, so you have a few books out. The one I've read is a collection of short stories entitled And the Shadows We Become. Mm -hmm. And in the first story, Stuck, the ending is really unexpected, but I liked it because I like stories that don't necessarily have a happy ending. Mm -hmm. I know the mass majority of people want stories to have a happy ending because they want a reprieve from the harsh realities of life. But I like stories that frame the harsh realities of life because for me it takes away some of the power of those aspects of life that aren't going to go away just because you pretend that they're not there so what motivated you to write stories that don't end with everyone living happily ever after i really love that question i had never thought about my stories like that until now and i think i never planned for that um I was very spent on everything being happy, I think. Everything so just toxic positivity and I was tired of that. And I <laughs> wanted to Did you coin that phrase? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted just to unleash the dark parts of my mind, no pun intended there. <laughs> and just 
no filter, let it out, and then, you know, judge myself later. And that's how Chester came about. Okay. <laughs> if you read that one, please promise to still be my friend. It is terrible. I just, I just let whatever out, out. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of, have you ever read uh, Edward Lee? No, I haven't. If you can go that far, then maybe, but I don't think you can. It's pretty intense. <laughs> so, but I don't know. I'm going to have to read Chester now. Hey, it's uh, short. I had to cut it short. Even on the cover, I put a horrific experiment by H.D. Scarberry because oh. it was it was hard to go there. Just let my mind go there. And so I have a full novel planned for Chester um, but I just wanted to kind of see how my fans would embrace a character like that. And I've got I've got some mixed reviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, is Chester like a novella or something? Yes. Yeah, it's shorter. It's, it's like 70 pages, I think. But it's it gets you just psychologically had to better. cut yourself off. Ooh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it goes there and it goes there quick. And I had to just snip that one for a while. <laughs> but I thought I remembered. um didn't you put all of your books on digital on sale for a while and Chester did the best? It did. Yeah, it yeah. did. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, think, maybe, maybe yeah. you have some detractors, but I mean, <laughs> I think the mass majority of your readers apparently liked it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just so shocked that someone, <laughs> they see all the positive things, I think, in my stories and think sweet little HD and then something that awful just comes out. <laughs> yeah. If viewed on your social media, you are a very unassuming character from which such dark prose comes. <laughs> you would Thank not. You. If, if I had to read your prose and then pick you out of a lineup, you are not the person I would pick. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> that kind of shows me that I'm, I'm doing well, removing that filter and, and going there for the darker stuff. Yeah, it's like Jung said, you want to integrate with the shadow. You don't want the shadow to overcome you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I can only imagine if I only posted things about my work because it ew, <laughs> it would all be dark, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking of stuck, I assume Danny was the favorite character you were referring to when I messaged you. She sure is. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She is the reason that story came about. I just most of my ideas sort of come from this either a dream or a daydream sort of this scene. And it was her in the uh, funeral when she walks in, you know, and just like she sort of belongs there at this man's funeral. And uh, that was the scene that started it. So it wasn't really about my other characters in the full length novel, because all of those stories, I, I sort of have this plan to do full-length novels on eventually. But it's based on Danny and Derek, so. Okay. <laughs> and with Danny, are you channeling some of your own energy, or is this like the big sister you aspire to hang out with? I think, oh, man, I don't think it's me. I think she just seems like a really cool chick. I would hang mm -hmm. out with her, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do I, actually. <laughs> Well, so in your next story, From Above, I really like the way you transform the woods into something much scarier than just a very dark, isolated place like they inherently are. You actually took away the ability of what I think sounded like guardian angels. I forget your actual wording. It had oh, the to, light beings. Yeah. Yeah. Would that be mm -hmm. like guardian angels? Yes. And, uh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, anyone's sort of interpretation of their own, yeah, a guardian angel of sorts, but they had to stop at this perimeter for whatever reason. So then you feel really alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you actually took away the ability of guardian angels to enter the woods. So the characters, once they were within the bounds, not only were they without protection, but that is where basically pure evil was given free reign. Yes. So the, the forest is effectively a stomping ground for evil. So you seem to have a knack for taking story elements that are already inherently scary, then doubling down and adding another element to make them even more terrifying. How do you come up with these ideas? I don't sit down and try. <laughs> it really comes from a scene, like a, a daydream or a dream, like that sort of thing. And most of the time, I think like maybe, for example, the light beings not being able to be there. I'm a very spiritual person. So thinking that I couldn't reach out to my spirit gods and that sort of thing, that is terrifying to me. And I wanted to put that in the story. Yeah, I was also pleasantly surprised by the violence in the story. I have uh, as weird as that sound. I promise I'm I'm completely sane. All that good no. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've recently gotten into Splatterpunk and that scene on top of the tree limb yeah. was so <laughs> viscerally terrifying that I thought I was reading something from Volpe or Beauregard for a second. Do you have the same visceral reaction that your readers do when you're writing those scenes? Or is it the same as writing something as benign as like a character description? With, uh, I'm kind of making myself vulnerable here, I think, by saying it. But when I'm writing those, it is thrilling. Mm -hmm. it is, <laughs> I think I'm so excited, just shocked to see what my mind comes up with and what I'm allowing myself to be thinking. And it's sort of a high for at least a moment. And then you go back and read that chapter and you're just a little terrified of yourself. Yeah, I imagine it's exhilarating because it's kind of I would imagine it's kind of like the adrenaline rush of the explorer. You're yeah. kind of plumbing, <laughs> plumbing the depths of your psyche to see what you can find. And I would imagine very rarely anything that you expected that comes up. Yes. Yep. And Chester, it's the exact same way. I didn't even want to share that for the longest <laughs> because I was just so shocked. <laughs> and then, yeah, he's a monster. <laughs> oh, man, the more I hear about this, I just want to. It's definitely the next book I'm going to check out. Yeah. And what has shocked me the most, I think, about that story is how moms sort of react to that, because there's so much wrong in that story that's not just on the violence. You poor Chester, you feel bad for him. And yet he's horrible. And you're so caught in between how you should feel. Or that's how I was when I wrote it. So. So next in your book, your story, Jake. Now, that was some intense erotica. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I remember, I don't know if you were commenting on something that I put in the uh, show invitation that I sent you, but I kind of referred to Jake as having sort of a, a Stockholm syndrome or something akin to Stockholm syndrome when it came to the character Maven. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes, Maven. Yeah. yeah. And then I saw something on your page 
that said not Stockholm syndrome, Maven. Yeah, sy- syndrome. was it Maven syndrome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't know if you were referencing that or not. <laughs> oh yeah, it's oh that's hilarious. So that story was kind of also an experiment in itself. Could I just let my mind go there with the erotic things? And yeah, Maven's a hit. She's the character. Again, it's so funny that I sort of base the short stories and focus it on another character. But Maven is the character that we would focus on in the full novel. But she, yeah, it was really kind of hard to write her. Yeah. (laughs) Harder than you would think. But yeah, I, I definitely want to continue that story. So you're talking about at some point there being a full-scale novel with yeah. her as the main character? Okay. Because yes. that was going to be my question was, do you not only enjoy writing those erotic storylines, but do you enjoy them enough to make a full-scale novel? And obviously, we're not talking about Fabio rescuing a maiden yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a white horse or anything like that, but like some intense dark erotica. Yes. Yep, definitely. And I really... I enjoyed writing her so much that I think more elements like that will be in probably all of my fiction, just because it's so much fun. It's fun to let my mind go there. And I really, I think I would love to publish a collection of short erotic poetry and then also have my art, the erotic art, in the same collection. I'm still considering that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean... Those are all great ideas. (laughs) (laughs) It would sell, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And you kind of took the dominatrix archetype, I guess, to a whole new level because there was a lot of cutting. (laughs) There was choking and there was sexual stimulation and then withdrawing with no release. You know, that (laughs) kind of torture, just like agonizing the entire story, but just completely unable to put down. So I can imagine the novel will be uh, quite a hit. Now, do you have a timeline on that? I don't know. Just do I sound (laughs) over eager? (laughs) I love it. I love when people enjoy the stories because that's why we're doing it. Right. So (laughs) um, I think I get I have so many projects. And so I just have to work on each one when I feel inspired on each one. Hmm. So your uh, your next story Chasing Shadows, you doubled down yet again and took uh, Revenge Horror to the next level. And I was curious, do you think Revenge Horror is enjoyable more because of the fact that a severe form of justice is being meted out when a lot of times in the real world justice isn't served? Or is it more that it's tapping into our own potential for violence? And the best example I can think of would be if someone were to even look like they were about to lay a hand on your child, I imagine the mother lioness would be activated and some severe carnage would ensue. What do you think? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um, So I think you're probably right. Probably some suppressed um, just wanting to let that emotion out. And like I mentioned before, I was sick, just sick of having to be so positive all the time. And so when I started branching out and writing horror, it just, woo, all these fun things came out. <laughs> and I don't think I planned on it all to be so dark or revenge seeking, but I guess that's just part of my mind that leaked into the work. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people I interview 
say that it's cathartic. Is that, would you agree with that? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. And that was definitely how I felt about the walls. I wanted to make the walls feel whimsical, just childlike in a way, but then you're hit with these big emotions and things that children shouldn't be dealing with. And that was the whole concept of the walls. And it was supposed to be a full length novel and I cut it short because it was just so emotionally taxing. I was ready to get back to killing shit. (laughs) (laughs) And next, in the same way you brought some splatter punk into the story from above, you went full Southern Gothic into the story Devil's Daughter. The thing I really like about Southern Gothic is the minimalism. You know, you're usually dealing with isolated areas with small groups of people with very little technology. So it's easy to not only commit heinous acts, but to also get away with them scot-free. Are you a fan of Southern Gothic? And if so, what are some of your favorite authors and or novels? Honestly, when I think of just my favorite novels off the top of my head, the first one that tugs at my heartstrings is Witching Hours by Justin Joseph. Uh, That story, it tugs at your mama heartstrings in a way that I didn't expect. That one will always be a favorite and definitely ungodly. Brayden Riddick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am a fangirl for life. He has earned a fan. Um, So those are definitely probably my favorite novels. Um, Calvin Ellis, In the Hills Above the Gristmill. I loved that. And really, This is going to be a shocker, I think. The novel that made me want to bring my own tray to life in Poismalis was Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just, I had this sort of idea of this fantasy, I guess, of an alien half being since I'm, you know, a teenager. That's embarrassing to talk about, but (laughs) we've we've talked about Jake, so we can talk about this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) but I wanted to bring him to life after reading Jamie in Outlander. And so I guess Outlander is really the reason I dove in headfirst. And it's been a weird twisty road since then. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, kind of a brief aside, but have you had a chance to watch what Josiah saw? No, I have not. If you're on Instagram, usually kind of in the same community of people we kind of exist in, I've seen it shared quite a bit. It's uh, streaming on Shudder. And from the trailers, it doesn't, I don't know, the trailer doesn't really come even close to doing it justice. Like, if I hadn't seen it so heavily recommended by people whose opinion I respect, I probably wouldn't have watched it, definitely just based on the trailer. But uh, yeah, me and my fiance watched that last night and... Holy shit. (laughs) That is one of the darkest, mind-bending, slow-burn movies. Just psychologically, like, what the hell is going on? I mean, it, 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 you know, there's resolution at the end, but it's like, it just, you think you know what's going on, then you find out you don't, but then, wait a minute, did I know what was going on? No, I don't. You know, it's just like... That is so intriguing. I'm going to have to look into that. So there's some resolution and yet you're still this affected. I love that. Yeah. I think you would definitely appreciate the everything about it. The storyline, the cinematography, the acting, everything. It's just solid. I don't. Maybe you said your husband's not into horror, huh? No, not so much. And now 
Mm. I have to tell you, we just stayed in that haunted hotel. I don't know if you saw that post on my Instagram, but he is a little spooked. <laughs> oh, that was a hotel. Into- okay. It was, yeah. The okay. Mologa Inn in Mobile. Okay. So he's not really into horror, no. <laughs> oh. What spooked him? It was just the general ambiance or was there like weird noises and stuff? Oh, happening? he, he, there was parts of the hotel where he was, he said it was like a weighted vest. The anxiety was so heavy just to feel and walking really? through there. Yes. And he is not like, he's not into horror. He's not into that sort of thing. And yeah. Did you was, mess with him? <laughs> no, I did not. No, sir. You, you didn't scratch on the walls with your nails or something? <laughs> I did not. No. We set up a camcorder overnight and just kind of a lot hearted because we're staying in a haunted hotel. Yeah. We're a little nervous, but we're fine. Oh my God. And I just, there's some unexplainable shit in there. And it has had me on this journey since we stayed. I have been reviewing footage and I really, I'm obsessed. I want other people to watch it so that they can give me answers. (laughs) (laughs) Because I want to be skeptical. So help me be skeptical. (laughs) Oh, and you said that's where again? In Mobile, Alabama. Okay. Yeah, I work with a girl that uh, lives, or she's from Mobile. She's constantly going back and forth visiting family. I'll have to ask her if she knows about it. The Malaga Inn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, redirecting back to your book, uh, we kind of come to the end of it with In the Shadows We Become, the coup de grace, <laughs> as, well, as well as its namesake. This, as well as other stories, all have different concepts of an afterlife. And you had mentioned that you're very spiritual. So I assume you have some concept of an afterlife. If it's not too personal, what uh, concept of an afterlife do you have? Uh, You know, to be vulnerable, (laughs) to let people (laughs) hear the real HD, sure. I really think that we, maybe some form of reincarnation, I feel like, our energy is not going to just vanish. (laughs) How would that be possible? And so I think right now I'm experiencing the human experience. And after that, who knows? But right now I'm trying to enjoy being a a human. (laughs) So I guess reincarnation in in a sense. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, read Aaron Beauregard at all? I don't, no. He has a uh, a novel that I just finished called All Smiles Until I Return. And I mean, it's dark, it's gritty, it, it's splatterpunk. So, I mean, it's there's no uh, punches pulled as far as gore, violence, and, and uh, depravity. But he has a very unique take on the afterlife that kind of sort of interweaves aspects of reincarnation. But it's not, you know, it's not straight, just your endless cycle of death and rebirth until you've removed all your bad karma or anything like that. He definitely puts the splatterpunk horror spin on it. That's another one. Uh, if uh, your concept of the afterlife is reincarnation heavy, that's definitely one I think you would enjoy. Yeah, I need to check that out. Yeah, it, it intrigues me. I try not to tell myself that I know for sure, because who can really know for sure? Maybe that sounds bad. I'm, I'm exploring. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think an agnostic position is not only do I not think it's bad, I don't think it's necessarily even incorrect. Like, yeah. I mean, if you if you get down into the philosophical hair splitting, can you really, you know, say Ooh. one way or the other? So, 
Right. And I, I wonder, you know, will we be like Randy or <laughs> will we be like Sarah in, in the shadows? You don't you don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you meditate at all or have you ever gotten into mindfulness or anything like that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I practice Reiki. OK. Definitely. I meditate a lot. <laughs> Usually at least once a day, um, if only when I'm falling asleep, you know, I, I try to get into that zone. Reiki is a, it's a Japanese energy healing technique. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, like the hands free, um, just feeling the energy with your hands. Okay. Yeah. I don't have a consistent mindfulness meditation practice. Sometimes I'm doing like an hour a day and then. I go months without doing it, and then I come back like splatter shot, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. But um, when I was first getting into it, I went to the local Zen center here and took an intro to Zen meditation course. And, you know, the course was basically technical. It wasn't so much to get into any kind of Buddhist philosophy or anything like that. It was just the straight nitty gritty of meditation practice. But they did mention some things, and obviously one of the things they mention are reincarnation and that there are some people they refer to as bodhisattvas that make the intentional decision to stick around, even though they've, I guess, kind of cleansed, they've kind of cleansed themselves of uh, bad karma. They intentionally stick around in the continuous cycle of death and rebirth to help other people. Wow. Um to achieve uh, Nirvana, or I think that's the way it's pronounced. I know the rock band is called Nirvana, but <laughs> I sometimes wonder if that's the way it's actually pronounced. But that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yes. All sorts of spiritual rabbit holes you can go down when you kind of free yourself from the constraints of religion and do some exploring. Yes. Yeah. And that's part of, like I mentioned before, removing the filters. I tried to do that spiritually, too, because I I grew up not in a super religious home, but it's Christian or no, pretty much, you know. So just removing that and trying to be open minded is very life changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've reached the uh the end of and the shadows we become. So let me just uh, give you a. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make too <laughs> too much noise here. But listeners at home, I'm doing an accelerated golf clap. Thank you. <laughs> I am really Very glad that you enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, the so next I'm one. So wait a second. Which one was your favorite? Which story? Yeah. Let's see. I think probably because of my newfound joy of gore and splatterpunk, probably from above. Really? I love that. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, like, I would say Jake, but I feel like that's good. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, you talk about being vulnerable. Like, I feel like I have some sort of some BDSM thing that I haven't hey, really. <laughs> you can remove the filter, too. It's okay. Jake, what's your favorite? <laughs> I'm going to tell my fiance when I'm done here, I need to be punished for being vulnerable. <laughs> I'm going to have to lick her boot. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed From Above. Well, so you've mentioned uh, a little bit so far, but kind of give me some background on the inspiration and storyline of the walls. Mm, so the walls. So that I wanted to uh, make that a very personal story. So all of the things 
that happen to the main character. She goes back in time and tries to sort of either relive these moments that were so traumatic that it affected her or or change them or just make peace with them. She's going back in time to do this, to heal. And I think it was super, super cathartic, like you mentioned, but it was so hard to write also. So I, I cut it short into a novella. So now is this, when you say going back in time, are we talking about more of a fantasy type going back in time or more of like a science fiction type going back in time? Um, so these in the main character, every event was something that happened to me personally. Um, I changed relationships to people. I changed locations and names and ages. Um, but every aspect of that story, including meeting who I thought were witches <laughs> <laughs> in the walls of Jericho, uh -huh. um, was was true. Yeah, I just had this very, very weird encounter with two women on a hike with my husband. And, and then it turned out after four years of trying to become pregnant with our daughter right after meeting them, a few days later, I received my positive pregnancy test. <laughs> really? And so I just, I counted them as magic. And it, it sort of, it added this way to tell a story that is so just horrific and make it magic and, and fiction. So this is still pretty dark. You're not deviating from your, your norm? No. Yeah. So it's, um, it involves uh, sexual assault, um, rape. There's um, just other things that I found to be really traumatic as a child. Um, seeing I went to a friend's house and witnessed domestic violence. So that's in there. Um, there's some addiction issues. So it touches on a lot of dark things. And then I, I hope that the three witches in the story kind of add at least a little dose of a smile yeah. you know, <laughs> where it's needed so you can get through it. <laughs> a little levity. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so now the uh, the grand prize here that I'm really interested to get into. Tell me about the background and inspiration for Chester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as so much as you don't, as much as you don't want to talk about it, just like let's let's get into it. <laughs> oh man, that just like changes my overall feel of this conversation because <laughs> <laughs> it's like you get heavy and then remembering how just crazy fun it was to write that story and how appalled I was at what came out. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I wanted to be able to make the villain so terrible and yet you still feel sorry for him. And I think I've done it. I think I've done it. Uh, one reader, she was just so upset with me over the, the maternal heartstrings that are tugged in that story. Like that's what, affected her the most, not the chopping of toes and all, all the other things you encounter. And I loved that that's what stuck in those 70 pages. And so as far as people contacting you, are these established readers of yours or are these just people that have never read anything you've done before? First thing they read is Chester and they feel inclined to contact you and you know like <laughs> dictate moral guidelines for you to fall within when you write like, <laughs> what is, uh, that blows my mind every time I hear somebody talk about that yeah so the reviews when they post them you know obviously if they're my buddy uh, I know them already but yeah there's some reviews and they're, they're mixed I think but when 
that stuck with me and I love it. And I giggle every time I think about it, but she said something along the lines of HD, you were one twisted fuck, but I loved it. <laughs> and I, thank oh. you. Like, thank you. <laughs> because I was so nervous that nobody was going to enjoy that. And even if it's just to shock you, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, so that makes sense then if we're talking about reviews, because I interviewed Judith Sonnet, and she's talking about people that actually like DM or like Messenger with shame on you, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. No, no, nobody, nobody's bringing any hate. They know better. I'll block them. <laughs> okay. All right, just as long as you're you're not being targeted specifically, because oh, no, no, no. those people just blow my mind. Like, you know, it's one thing to leave a review because that's what reviews are for. You read it and you want to give your opinion on it, but to actually contact the author directly and want to start like this dialogue with them trying to uh dictate their moral standings yeah. and you know like bring back the literary obscenity trials yeah. <laughs> i had a friend one time they were upset with the way that stuck ends they thought that i was sort of demonizing age gap relationships <laughs> at the end there i don't think it was about the age i think it was about the relation <laughs> right and and i just I mean, is that not horrific to you if that triggered you? Obviously, it triggers you, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just, I giggle. <laughs> if something triggers you, it's probably something within yourself, you know, but it, it's just funny to see what, what riles people up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that old uh, adage, you spot it, you got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you said the name already, and I, I'm afraid I'm going to butcher it. Pusmalis? <laughs> so close. Damn it. Poismalis. What is it? <laughs> Poismalis. Poismalis? Uh-huh. Okay. Now, is that different oh, it's language? it's completely bullshit. I made it oh, up. Oh, <laughs> okay. Okay. I was like, oh, I'm so uncultured. This is probably Latin for you something. And I'm completely... <laughs> I know. Just like, oh, you're... You're such a bore. <laughs> no, it is utter bullshit. Okay. I literally mixed, I think it was partner, soulmate, bliss. Like I have this little system that I make up Elondrin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, and you know what's funny? I hated that word. And I just, I couldn't get around it because I spent so much time putting it together and that it stuck and that I eventually loved it. And so it's, it became my baby. <laughs> but, but yes, it's Poismalis. Poismalis. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first one is for love or malice? For love or madness, yes. Oh, um, madness. Madness, mm. uh-huh. Mm, but I'm malice. Boy, <laughs> Freudian slip. I must be meaning somebody harm. You know what? I really <laughs> love that, though. I love that. I kind of love that more than madness. And so I actually pulled the first two books. I pulled the Poismala series because I feel like it's only been a short time since I've started writing and my narrative voice has changed so much. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know so much more now. And I also want to remove, like I mentioned, the filter that I had when I started. I want to make that story a lot darker than it read. It was sort of fairy tale-esque, I think. <laughs> and I, I want it to be much darker. And the, the filter that's in place, you say, is there 
not so much because you're afraid you're going to be censored in any way, because, I mean, as far as literature goes, I mean, splatterpunk, it's pretty much anything goes. It's more of you just don't like what it activated within yourself or you were afraid of what was it, it was going to activate within yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, when I first started writing it, I think I just had no idea how I wanted the story to be told. And I think I was in my mind, I was shaping it for more of a romance reader. And I was trying to maybe entice them into the sci-fi romance area because for the first, I mean, probably at least half of the book, there's not much of that aspect (laughs) going on. And so I just really wanted to make it darker and write it for my own enjoyment versus I think in the beginning I was writing for a softer feel. Okay. So are you talking about re-releasing it in sort of like an author's preferred edition? No. Just so com- I, completely I actually, pulling it off? Yeah, I pulled it. Oh, okay. And I pulled The New World, which was book two, and I'm going to make just a Mac Daddy book, like mm. an eight or 900 page, just to have it in one, just to say that I did it. Because this story, it just grows in my mind, and I, I have to get it out. <laughs> but it needs to be much darker and more polished, because I'm learning. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be H.D. Scarberry's epic tale. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This will be the one you see on TV, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. We can play that. Dibs on (laughs) autograph copies, okay? I mean. (laughs) So um, I was doing a little digging, and I haven't seen anything about it on your Amazon page or in any of your links that you have in your bio, but I saw a picture and this is something I'm going to butcher too. Actually, you know what? I'll spell it because I don't want to butcher it. S-A-N-G-U-E. Oh, Sanguinero. Yeah. Sanguinero. Okay. Uh That's how I say it at least. I probably butcher it too. Don't worry. (laughs) But it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's, um, it's a vampire tale and it's within the same universe as Poismalis. So we're we're going to let our aliens and our vampires meet. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it going to yeah. is it going to have any of the erotic overtones? Absolutely. Uh, as May Okay. May but Maven's her own thing, right? She doesn't make any appearances in this story. No, no, but okay. Poismalis definitely has its own characters that will stand alone and and take over for for those names. Okay. All right. You have a timeline on that or are you just That is my baby. That is what I work on when I have a free moment for me. Um so yeah. Um Poismalis is coming first and hopefully after that Sanguinero, if I say it right. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I saw Sang sang you or sang however it's pronounced, and I was mm-hmm. like, I think that's uh, associated with blood, right? Right, dark blood, black blood. Yeah, this story, that little story, is challenging because I don't want to do it injustice. The characters are so strong in my mind, and I don't want to rush it, which has sort of been something I've noticed a pattern in myself is rushing it and wanting to put it out before it could be so much better <laughs> if I just take more time. Yeah, if I ever attempted to write a novel, that would be probably my biggest issue is patience. Like I want 
not immediate gratification, but definitely not the delayed gratification of you know, <laughs> writing the standard novel where you've got the first draft, second draft, beta readers, editing, you know, all that. I'm like, oh, that would just drive me nuts. Like, I'd want to put it out there. It. Yeah, I'm the same way. I can't stand it. I get an idea and I want to make a post about it that day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, I can definitely see that. So uh, this is another one that I, I guess maybe is a work in progress because the only thing I've seen so far is mention of, and I believe a reveal on the cover was Dreamweaver. Mm, yes, Dreamweaver. Oh, all right, that elicited a response. <laughs> <laughs> so this idea, hmm, how do I say this? This baby was born after I have removed those filters I mentioned. So this is very, this is probably the darkest, um, both in just the gore aspect, but also in the mental, like the psychological horror, because my main character is dealing with dementia, and which is a very touchy subject to me anyway. And it's really fun to write, but I have to watch it because I will spook myself. <laughs> I will. I'll be getting the shivers while I'm in the shower, you know. <laughs> I have to step away sometimes. It's dark, but I'm very excited. And that cover by Mitch Green, oh, I loved it. Loved it. I was so excited to have that. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I would have to say psychological terror. I like the gore. I like the violence. But in the realm of nonfiction, probably the main thing I read is psychology, philosophy, anything to do with human consciousness. So when it comes to horror, if it's good psychological horror, that's definitely yeah. my jam. And um, <laughs> so Dreamweaver, you were talking about it dealing with dementia. That always freaks me out as well, because, you know, you want to believe in this dualistic version of consciousness where you've got the brain, which is kind of like the interface that communicates with the outside world. And then like this separate consciousness, which is where yourself res yeah. resolves. Uh -huh. But it really gets a little sketchy when it comes to dementia and you start seeing the way organic defects in the brain, like the actual meat in your head, start affecting your personality. Yes. That I is really... <laughs> Really unnerving to me. Like, I don't like yes. to think about it, you know, like people that have had head injuries that all of a sudden become violent or hypersexual. Oh, yes. yeah. Like, I mean, it's exhilarating. I love reading about it and I love if there's like horror based on it, but just the actual real world concept just really sometimes yeah. I have to like, <laughs> like stave oh, off yes. a panic attack. Yeah. So the, I say she's the main character. I'm in love with all of my characters in that story, but Jane. Um, she is very eccentric and a witch of sorts. And so her magic is going a little sideways because she's she's losing it a little bit. And so as the, the story unfolds, you'll see why things are playing out the way they are. But it is it's wicked right now. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So. How did you get into writing? I mean, you seem to, with both editing and writing yourself, that's uh, you're, you're pretty much neck deep in it. I think you even mentioned poetry. When did you first put pen or pencil to paper? How did that come about? <laughs> well, um, teenage years, I definitely got into journaling and um, poetry. 
just to express those teenage girl emotions, I think. And I really didn't do much with it until later in my 20s. I think I just, you know, it was school and work and then motherhood, (laughs) parenthood. So when I decided to get back into it, it just like consumed me. I could not stop. Poismalis, that first for Love or Madness, COVID had just hit. It was 2020. I was a nervous wreck. I worked in retail pharmacy. So you can imagine we were, <laughs> what are we going to do? Everybody's, you know, I, I was a nervous wreck. I had a very small child. So you're worried about her. So I was stressed and I stayed up and I banged out that I think it was close to 80,000 words and had it edited professionally and published. It was three months. <laughs> I was just obsessed wow. with the story. Yeah. Yeah. And it was not perfect. Now, don't think faster was better because like I said, I pulled it. So obviously I want to, (laughs) but it's like when I realized I wanted that back in my life, it was like, okay, well, everything else can just kind of fall into place. I ended up deciding to leave my career from retail pharmacy as a technician and going full force in my kennel, my dog kennel, and just focusing on creative things. And it's been a wild ride. I tell you a few wild years. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned COVID because I had interviewed Braden Riddick and that's one of the things he said with regard to Ungodly was it sat languishing in a desk somewhere and when COVID hit, he all of a sudden had a lot of downtime that he didn't necessarily have before. Uh And with all of the stress and stuff he was under, it was kind of a way he could channel his energy to deal with not only the the stress of having to worry about your family in this crazy fucked up pandemic, but <laughs> but also all of this time where you're you're almost you were pretty much stuck at home. There was nothing to go out and do. You know, I don't know what his particular day job was if he was being forced to work from home. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I wonder That's- how many creative works COVID spawned. <laughs> right, I would love to know. That's interesting. The COVID babies. Yeah. Co- <laughs> COVID. Literary babies. Literary babies, yeah. 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 And I had, like I had mentioned, I had just read Outlander. And I think Jamie was a great character, but I just, I needed characters like Jake. I needed, um, you know, I needed different characters. And when I had the idea, hey, you can write stories you want to read for yourself. It was just on from there. So what is your writing medium? Is it? as simple as a, a laptop, a computer. Or I've heard everything from pen and paper to the old school mechanical typewriter to uh, Andrew Post. He uses a laptop, but he has this one fucked up keyboard that he refuses to let go of. <laughs> that, you know, like he, he's got, he's been through multiple laptops, but he yeah. says he has this keyboard that he connects that's like missing keys and full of gunk and shit. So I love his post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just, I have a Chromebook I bought and that would happen. You know, I didn't even have a computer, a home computer. I bought the Chromebook to write. <laughs> and I really, that's what I've done most of my writing on. Sometimes I'll use my phone if a scene is just relentlessly <laughs> will not leave me alone and I'm having to play outside with my daughter or something. I'll write on my phone, but I really like to sit down and be unbothered. <laughs> I, I want to be, it doesn't have to be quiet and I can be around other people as long as you ignore me and just let me do my thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, it was either, I think it was 80%, maybe as high as 90% of Ungodly was written on Braden's phone. That is wild. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I just, it's hard for me to, because if it's on my phone, if I get distracted by something else, I kind of get sidetracked, I think. But if I'm on my Chromebook, it's just my writing place. Like I don't do anything else really on my Chromebook. So when I open that, it's go time. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine you got to be away from an internet browser, from from uh, <laughs> right. phone, text, yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I have, you know, a mini farm here. <laughs> I have like eight dogs. I have the dog kennel and I have my four-year-old. So I just, I want to be alone. <laughs> so uh, you're writing atmosphere. You've got somewhere where you can escape to. Yeah, I like to get up at night. I like after everyone goes to bed, I like to get up and I'll sit in my living room most of the time, but I do have an office that I use. So, Anything around for inspiration, like on the walls or? Oh, yeah. My office, it's just all HDIs. HDIs. (laughs) Is it in high def? (laughs) (laughs) It's got some tapestries. It's got my massage table for Reiki use, Um, crystals hanging around, some candle holders, that kind of thing. I had my parakeets in here and I took them out. They're too noisy. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) I couldn't imagine trying to write with a parakeet. (laughs) I'm assuming the ones that talk, right? Oh, they just chirp. But anytime anytime I get in here, it's like they just know. So I had to take them out. (laughs) Is it parakeets that talk or am I... Confusing um, it with something else. I think maybe some do, but mine, mine don't. Mine don't. <laughs> <laughs> and try and bounce story ideas off of them, see what they say. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sort of bad for my animals. They probably hear me talking to myself sometimes. And if I'm riding, who knows what's coming out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so are you a uh, an outliner? Or you fly by the seat of your pants or... I'm a pantster all the way. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All the way. If I try to outline, it's almost like it freaks me out. It's overwhelming to me. And I just, I feel like it takes away some of the genuine vibes of the characters to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So have you ever been writing something and got to a point where you hit a roadblock and you just couldn't like figure your way out? Or is it just kind of flow seamlessly? Like as soon as you get to mile marker eight, like nine and 10 are already kind of forming in your head. I definitely hit roadblocks. Yeah. And usually I just put that work down and work on something else if I'm feeling inspired Um, and even art, you know, I'll just stop writing altogether and, and do some other form of creativity. Well, speaking of your art, it is, from what I've seen, very surreal and intense, and it spans the gamut from abstract to violent to intensely erotic. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it's a lot like my writing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a visual representation of your writing. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I've, I've always loved to just doodle. I've always loved to doodle. Um, I never really got into digital art until recently, probably within probably 2021 or 2020. But that is my favorite medium is to use my iPad. I do some acrylic painting, but I I really like to stick to the digital. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So is it 
are you using like graphic design software or something a little bit simpler? What um, is the, I love Procreate. Procreate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I'll use Concepts if I'm on my phone because I still use an Android. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can't have Procreate on my phone, but those are my favorites. And I just love the color range that those apps have. Yeah. And the, the layering ability and the brushes. Gosh, you can buy packages of brushes. So many brushes. I was told by Nevada McPherson that a lot of famous authors like Flannery O'Connor was, I think, the person she mentioned. They were painters and they weren't painters so much because they were trying to like pursue it in any professional fashion, but more so that it helped them with writing setting and character descriptions. Do you find that to be true? Ooh, um, well, I think sometimes when I'm stuck, like we mentioned earlier, getting stuck on a place, um, I'll create art and feel a little more inspired. But it's usually not a new scene. It's like an older scene. And, I, and it still inspires, you know, what's going to happen next in some way. So, okay. so I do. Yeah, I think it's it's very inspiring. Well, so tell me about your editing services. Unless I'm mistaken, I'm pretty sure I'm interviewing one of the authors that you've edited, which is Miss Robles Diaz. Yes. Yeah. I'm telling you, her talent is just... I read the book. (laughs) You did? (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you, that is intense. So intense. I love, love her voice. Yeah. She, uh... I can't remember when I finished that book up, but yeah, I mean, I messaged her before I even finished it, <laughs> you know, about yeah. halfway into it. It's got such a uh, a sense of setting, like the way it begins in Puerto Rico. Like I feel, yeah. you know, how certain locales, geographical mm-hmm. places you can read about them, but until you go there and kind of take in the smells, the sounds, the food and so on, you don't really have a sense of it. I feel like she conveyed that. In the yeah. beginning setting, the way it's You've set in Puerto there. Rico. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And she, it doesn't it just feel like that story was not rushed? That she took her time to build that and get you invested and make you feel like you have been there. I agree. I just, I think it was wonderful. I actually had to break from that and reach out to her and let her know when I was editing that because the material was just so heavy and it's a sensitive topic just rape in general and I had to break and it's not because I didn't enjoy the story I just it triggered something some unhealed part of me and she was so understanding and I just really commend her for that for not because <laughs> it took me a while to get through it but once I got over that hump and we started getting into more of the revenge that was my jam I was ready <laughs> it was so did, fun. did you see her uh her post she put up the other day I think she said it was one of her readers, I guess, wanted to send her something in the mail. I forget under what auspices, but when she opened it up, it was a curling iron. <laughs> and she's like, if you read the story, you know. <laughs> so I, te- I texted her, ouch. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. That's funny. Hilarious. It's an amazing story. I really I enjoyed that. Well, so in the realm of you editing other people's works, does your attention to technical detail from being an editor ever cramp your creativity when you're writing your own prose? Um, I make it a point not to let it interfere with me because I'd heard that once you put something out, you get a little bit afraid 
to write because you're afraid of writing something bad or, you know, less quality, I think. And I tried not to be that way. But honestly, I really need to spend more time letting my stories just marinate. (laughs) I always want to share too quickly. And now it's kind of the opposite. I feel like when I'm editing someone else's work, because I want to read it and I want to edit it, but then I also want to let it sit for a second and read it in a little while and see how that flowed. I take my time Mm. and it's a lot different. Yeah, I think I I rush myself and then doubt myself almost. Um, I don't want to let anything slip when I'm editing. So, And you're talking about editing your own work or are you talking about editing someone else's? Yeah, comparing editing someone else's versus my own. Yeah, I think I I let mine go too soon and then I go through it with too fine of a comb. Sometimes I get hung up in my editing. Yeah, I got you. Well, so you do edit your own work, but didn't you mention earlier that you also have other people edit it as well? Yeah. So the very first book I put out, I was on Readsy and found an editor there. And I think he did a really great job, but I realized that I wanted more of a personal approach to editing. Like he made all these suggestions and I wanted to argue about it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm I'm sure you're right. You know, you have degrees and all this, but why? And so after that, I started letting my author friends um, read and make their suggestions in exchange for me doing the same for them. And that's how the editing sort of took off was just a swapping work and then I guess word of mouth. And I feel like when I'm editing for someone, I want you to send me the manuscript and I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to put my thoughts on there. And if you don't like the suggestions, please don't use them. But I just want to. (laughs) I'm going to say it. I can't not say it. And I think you really have to know how to take me as a person if we're going to work together, because it's not that I'm trying to take over by any means. I want you to have your voice. Just I try to because I can see the scenes that they're trying to paint and I just want to help paint that. So it's balance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what came first? Uh, I guess probably writing came first. Yeah, I guess probably the art, picking back up art, was in between. After I had put out the first book, I started getting back into art. And then um, I had made friends at that point on Instagram. And we started editing each other's work. Or I say editing, just, you know, giving our suggestions. Yeah, but it kind of art fell in between, I think. Okay. This is kind of a strange question. The only social media that I exist on is Instagram because it seems like that's where all artists are, whether that be painters all the way to the models dancing around, bouncing their asses to to rap music, you know, just like (laughs) Twitter just kind of seems like a... um, a platform for political infighting and uh, yeah. Facebook seems like where you put up pictures of your kids. Am I off? Like, no, am, am I, I, feel that. I feel that. Yeah. I have a Facebook and it's more of a personal account. I feel like my family's there. They expect photos, like you said, of the family <laughs> and that sort of thing. And then Twitter, they don't give you enough room to really, <laughs> you can only write so much in a tweet, right? Yeah. And what is I'm, it? 140 characters? <laughs> right. I just, I definitely, Instagram, I found my little bookish community and I'm just hanging on. I, <laughs> I just love yeah. it. Here. <laughs> I feel like I've heard people talk about there being sort of a bookish, bookstagram-like community on Facebook. I've never really ventured out. I feel like pretty much anybody that's 
on Facebook in that realm is probably on Instagram. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know. So tell me about this vlog that I keep hearing about. Mm, yeah. So that is just me trying to push myself out of my comfort zone. Sort of like doing this. I was terrified. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I feel like the more I put myself out there, the more connections, you know, and that's well worth feeling awkward for a moment, I think. So the vlog, I wanted to sort of base it around me just experiencing horror sort of for the first time and not just horror. I hadn't watched Labyrinth until I'm going to be 31 this year. And I experienced that for the first time. And <laughs> I found out that the puppet Hoggle is actually only 20 minutes from me at Unclaimed Baggage Center. He's been here since I was like a child, the actual puppet that was used in the... Really? Yes. (laughs) And so I was going to make an episode and just sort of show Hoggle to the world. And then we sort of fell into this staying in the haunted hotel. And that has completely taken over my vlog idea because I'm obsessed (laughs) with getting answers. Are you going to be a ghost hunter? I'm going to be a ghost hunter. I think they're, I mean, I just went to stay and I think the ghost found me. I think, I think you were the hunted. <laughs> yes. And that's a scary feeling. It's super scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is the HD Scarberry outside of writing? Well, I'll be honest. First things first, I'm a mama. <laughs> mm-hmm. She is my world. She's four. She's. The light of my life, definitely. I love my Ava Grace. And it's hard to balance, you know, me time, I think. But I think me and my husband, we're doing a pretty good job of keeping us time and keeping time for ourselves. We're trying anyway. I think acknowledging the need (laughs) is the biggest step when you're parenting young kids. (laughs) Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. No, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me. And to the listeners at home, all links will be in the description. And Madam Scarberry, I will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you to everyone that tuned in. If you liked today's episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and follow the show on Instagram and YouTube. Stay healthy, stay sane, and as always, thank you for listening. See you next time.
You make me go. Cool.